0: Do you know what week it is? Well, it's the fifth week of the month. And around my house, that means something pretty important for my children. Hello, everyone. This is Reb Brad, and you're listening to the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. Well, as I said, the fifth week of the month is typically a joyous and happy occasion because with four children in the house and divvying up household chores the fifth week is when mom and I give the kids a break and we take on the chores. You know, loading, unloading the dishes, setting the table, and a few other things as well. So in the spirit of the fifth week, I want to look at some similar themes today on From the Touchline. He's found the space, and he's found the back of the net! Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post, not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in, far post, almost made it trick the second in his career, the third of the night, the hat-trick hero. Talked about, you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner, goes towards the near post, and you're in the angle. And what a goal! What a goal! In my house, the Sunday morning marking the fifth week is highly celebrated. In fact, it usually includes my girls taunting me, reminding me, fifth week, fifth week, you know what that means, vacation. You and mom have to do the chores. We don't. Well, the story goes that when we last drew up our list of daily and weekly chores, we found it was really simple to separate out some of the basic household tasks needed to be done because we have four girls. Everyone does something every week to help out around the house. Now, I know that sounds wonderful, but each child being of themselves, there are some weeks when we know that certain tasks will require a little bit more reminding, a little bit more prodding, and this happens just with their different personalities and their different ages, and we're navigating school and church and social life, among all these other things. But we came across a bit of a bump when it came to figuring out the fifth week of the month. I mean, who was going to do the chores that time? Uh, We determined that if a week had three or more days in it from a previous month, it would count as a fifth week. And mom and myself would take on the tasks. So for 2020, it works out that there's five months that have a fifth week. I I don't know, maybe other years there's there's similar, right? Uh, But in, in this 2020, it's January, March, June, and September, and also December. So the upside to this for me is that that fifth week Generally, the house is a little bit cleaner, it's a little tidier, and there's less arguing about chores. Uh, The downside is it's up to mom and me to get it done amongst our other tasks. Now, this got me thinking about, I was thinking about in football, right? Usually it's the fifth week in a new season, and that usually is a time when a team and a club start learning and understanding what kind of season might be had. Of course, in some leagues around the world, it only takes a couple of games before the fans and the pundits start moaning or lamenting about the manager or a failed acquisition or signing that isn't producing, or or they're starting to dream of titles and championship successes, or they're worried about relegation and being stuck in the bottom of the league. I've already seen a number of articles in football magazines that have called for people to just chill out in their emotions around the losses of their favorite teams just a few weeks and a few games into a new season. Well, reflecting on these things, it got me wondering, isn't, is there something to be said? Is, is there maybe more to having a, a fifth week break? Given the highly emotional and difficult times we live in, kind of just like my children, that they look forward to the rest that a fifth week in a month affords them around the daily household chores. And I think it can be a good thing sometimes to get a break from the work that we find ourselves constantly at. Now, of course, God has set forth some breaks in the Bible, and I've podcasted about it before. Even earlier this year, I talked about Sabbath and sabbatical, and God himself models the spirit and posture of taking a rest from work and and that being a good thing. And God is probably the only one that exists that doesn't need rest, but yet he still models this thing for us as people that I think we especially struggle with. I know that I struggle with it, especially I, I tend to be a bit of a workaholic. Well, God's invitation to us is to make a seventh day holy, to set it apart. It's a time for rest, a, a time for recreation, or, or as I like to say the word, recreation. It's a time that, that someone can take joy and delight in the work that's been done the other six days this is truly a lost practice, even amongst the very religious people, and especially amongst Westerners. We just don't take time off. We don't take a Sabbath day rest. We uh, we work really hard at our play. Sometimes we play at our work, and you've heard the saying uh, a million times, I'm sure. But there's this other invitation that God makes to His people, and that is to take a Sabbath year, and it's this concept of sabbatical. Uh, in a seventh year, God tells his people, live off what the land has produced for the previous six years and let the land rest. Again, I shared part of this about my month, before my month-long sabbatical earlier this year. I encourage you to go back and listen. If if you're curious about sabbatical and a, a Sabbath year, listen to the January 1 podcast from 2020, and I talk more about sabbatical there. But uh, as I was thinking about fifth week and I was thinking about rest and, and these rhythms of of a Sabbath uh, day, a Sabbath year, uh, it it struck me that God goes one invitation to us further. His invitation is for a 50th year, a year of Jubilee. If you have a Bible, get over to the book of Leviticus. It's in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 25. And if you start reading in verse eight and go all the way through the end of the chapter, you will read some amazing things and some very special invitations and intentions that God has for His people. You see, the year of Jubilee was to be like a Sabbath year, no sowing or reaping of any kind, but here's the kicker. All the property was returned. So, if someone had sold a house or a field, that property would go back to the original owner in the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee, in fact, was a a way of setting fair market prices for the use of land. So if I was leasing out or renting my land, letting someone else uh, farm it and and work the land, I would set the price based on how close or how far away uh, we were from the year of Jubilee. And so, you know... If, if you're closer to the year of Jubilee, the sale of a field would be a, a higher price because essentially you're just letting the person use the field for raising those crops. And it was a way for them to produce income, but it was also a way for you to, to recover and recoup a little bit from the land. But but Jubilee was almost a reset on all these things. It was a way of preventing people from amassing huge amounts of wealth at the expense of their fellow countrymen. It was a way of providing hope Maybe for a family or a person who had lost their land or had had really become poor due to different circumstances, the year of jubilee was a way of of instilling hope for that person and almost providing them a, a touch point that if they could get to the year of jubilee, uh, they could they could try again, they could be reset, they could regain the things that had been lost to them. The year of jubilee really is a way of living out a life of faith and a life of stewardship, because it, it means that you really have to trust in God to be the provider. Now, this got me thinking, like, how would this work in modern-day America, where I live, um, in in Denver, Colorado? And to be honest, I simply can't wrap my head around it. Uh, the home that uh, my family lives in, that we're paying the bank uh, essentially to to one day own, can you imagine it going back to the original owners who who had purchased this home back in nineteen ninety or or whatever for for such a low rate i mean i I just don't think it I, I don't know how it would work uh to my knowledge also neither in the ancient day Israel or modern day Israel, I don't think they ever followed a year of jubilee and and I think truthfully, if I had to put myself in in their shoes or or in the shoes of a person like living out jubilee. I think it would be tremendously hard. I, I just don't know how. Honestly, I haven't thought through it that much. Um, and I, I know some other things too, like the timing of Jubilee is debated. Is it just the the seventh seven year sabbatical, or is it an extra year on top of that seventh seven year sabbatical um, or Sabbath? I I, I don't know, uh, to be honest. And and I think there's arguments on both sides based on some of the language in the text. But Leviticus 25 is an interesting read, and and as I was reading across it, I came across these powerful words that that I just want to reflect on further for consideration. I want to read them to you coming from uh, verse 20 and 21. You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest crops? And God responds to this question. He says, I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. Man, that, that strikes me not just as a, a beautiful promise and blessing, but almost as a challenge. God's promise through all this is that he will provide enough he will make the land bear and produce fruit, and so much so that we don't have to worry. For three years, can you imagine that? Like, just your basic needs being taken care of for that time? But the challenge for me, the challenge for us is we have to rest. We have to lay aside our initiative, our drive to keep working and grinding out a result. And and we have to really sit back and and let us... Let us see God's goodness come through, which I think is a big challenge for us because we're we're often taught, you know, things like you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and if it's to be, it's up to me, and if something's going to happen, you've got to do it. You've got to put the work and the effort in. and And I think to some extent those things are true, but where is the place where we we rest and we sit back and we let and we let God do the work? I wonder is there any place in your life where Maybe you and I can surrender to God a a 50th year of Jubilee or or a fifth week of the month. As with many things, sometimes our faith needs to start in small ways, and it needs to grow out of us seeing God's promises come true in those small things. And I think if a fifth week in my family helps give our kids a break from the household chores, won't it produce something worthwhile? I mean, more worthwhile than the teasing banter that we get every Sunday of a fifth week, I think it will. I, I think it'll teach my children that, one, mom and dad aren't above doing simple, basic tasks needed for the house. It's, it's not like, you know, because we're in charge or, or maybe because dad or mom are bringing the income or we're teaching the family or, or whatever our roles are that we can't do these basic things. I think, too, it just it goes one step further in showing, hey, I'm willing to serve you. I'm I'm willing to serve you even though you're the child. I'm going to serve you so that you get a break and you get a rest and I'm serving the family too hopefully by you know when I do it without grumbling and complaining, you know I'm serving my wife, I'm serving my girls. And and there's a flourish, there's a flourishing to life that comes with that. There's a flourishing that comes for family uh when we do that. There's a flourishing that comes for our faith when we when we rest and we allow God to do his work. Now does this mean when I turn 50 in a few years from now that I'm going to take the whole year off? Well, <laughs> I've been thinking about that. That's that's a little bit of a dream. I don't know that's going to happen that way, but it has me thinking. How can I trust? How can I live my life in such a way that my faith would trust in God to provide not just for one year's worth, but 3 years' worth of something? But that's God. He's always doing more than I could hope or even imagine and and he tells me he invites me into this journey where he says, "Hey Brad, rest." And I think that's something that he invites you and I into together. So today as I close, I want to I want to pray a prayer adapted from Ray Simpson's book entitled Celtic Blessings. With October approaching and and really for us in the northern hemisphere it's t- our typical harvest time, and I know for some footballers and football leagues the season's winding down here soon. But I want to encourage you and me, no matter where we are, to stop and consider God's many invitations to trust Him more deeply, to provide, and to see our lives, our hearts, our families, and our faith flourishing. May God, who clothes the flowers and feeds the birds of the sky, who leads the lambs to pasture and the deer to water, who multiplied loaves and fishes and changed water into wine, lead us, feed us, multiply us, and change us until we reflect the glory of our creator and we celebrate our fifth weeks and our years of jubilee from now on throughout all eternity. Amen. Well, hey everyone, this is Reb Brad on this fifth week coming to you from The Touchline.